We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. Today, we've got former Delta State offensive lineman and current NFL draft prospect Nick Melsop on the show. Nick signed with Delta Sports Group and our guy Portner, and we dug into his story a decent bit of how he went from a six foot three, 170 pound tweener tight end defensive lineman to a six foot seven, 330 pound NFL tackle draft prospect. Pretty crazy story how he got from Ohio to Cleveland, Mississippi, and how he went from a late start to even playing football to somehow getting to play college football and now to having a chance to be a late round draft pick. Certainly a guy that can get into an NFL camp and having a shot to make an NFL roster. So cool story. I really appreciate his time. I think uh, you'll enjoy it. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Major Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Football season's around the corner. Go ahead and join Skybox. They're going to make you money. If you're into wagering, it's the only way to profit in the long run. They go off data and numbers not just what's in your own head 10 minutes before kickoff. Skybox NASCAR is crushing it right now. Football will be around the corner before you know it. You need to check them out. If you go on their site, type in skyboxsportspicks.com, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, for 20% off any picks package you buy. You can try it for a day, a week, a month, whatever the case may be. It's the best sports handicapping service in the world. I will guarantee you if you use it this upcoming football season, you will profit Go ahead and build up your bankroll by following the guys at Skybox NASCAR. They're making money on a weekly basis. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, it's three six-ounce bacon-wrapped fillets for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 valuation for 20 bucks there. All you got to do is go in, show Greg you subscribe. He'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. The weather's awesome. It's prime grilling season. Go in and find something awesome to throw on the grill. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is NFL draft prospect Nick Melsup. 
All right, we now welcome on a very awesome guest, Nick Melsop. He is a former, now former Delta State offensive lineman. He is an NFL draft prospect. Um, it's no secret on this podcast anymore, but uh, he is a Delta Sports Group client. My best friend, Michael Portner, Delta Sports Group, super proud of him and everything he's got going. Was definitely pumped when they uh, brought you along. How you doing, my man? I appreciate you joining us. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm good. How are you doing? Man, I'm good. I'm, I'm interested to dive into your story a bit. Um, you know, being around football for a while and covering the SEC, the draft process has been interesting to me for a lot of different reasons. But one of the things I found more interesting, and you get this at the Ole Miss level too, is, you know, guys that aren't necessarily your day one guys. And I mean, how what's the thing they always say at the NFL, half the leagues undrafted and kind of the path that they don't cover on ESPN all the time and how those guys make their way into the league and find a home. So I'm interested in diving into your story a bit. And I guess we'll start kind of back at the roots. You're a Ohio native. Um, you were originally from where? Columbus area? Yeah, Columbus, Ohio. It, it's more like a, it's called Lewis Center, Ohio, but it's right outside Columbus. So I just say Columbus. Yeah, it's kind of like Madison people saying they're from Jackson. I don't know if you pick up on that reference <laughs> yeah. the amount of years you spent in the Delta. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh same type of thing. So We'll start there. Um, one of the things I found interesting about you is where you're at now versus where you were probably a pretty short time ago, if you really think about it in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, I would say the general term to describe you as a prospect or just a football player would be late bloomer. And part of that, I will get to the growth spurt oh, that yeah. you had that I'm still waiting to happen, uh, here 27 years later in a second. But football was not really your first thing, right? You were kind of yep. late into the football scene. Take me through how you got into football as a kid. Yeah, uh, so like uh, how we were talking earlier, um, I was a baseball kid growing up, basically my whole life. That's all I did. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, played first base. Uh, and then it kind of around uh, like later in maybe eighth grade going into ninth grade. Um, you know, I, it may have been a little earlier than that, but I got introduced uh, to like youth football. Um, and cause middle school uh, football isn't the greatest. I think I only played it one year. Um, so before that it was kind of like peewee ball and my dad and mom came up to me and said, Hey, like you should try this out. And I was kind of skeptical about it, but my neighbor, he was in it the same as I was. Um, and he, he kept begging me to join it. And so I told him, Hey, why not? Gave it a shot. Wasn't the best. You know, I went in playing tight end at first cause I wasn't obviously this size as a kid. I was a pretty scrawny little kid. Um, and, and then when I first got into it, that's all I wanted to do was play football and kind of baseball took a bike seat. And after that, never played baseball again, just watched it. Um, and then from there on, I was tied in all the way up until I think my junior year of high school, um, where they told me, basically, you're not good enough to play tight end. Uh, you should try a different position. And I uh, got a whole new coaching staff in. Um, and I was like, hey, I'll, I'll try defense. Why not? I'll play defensive end. Go for it. Um, and I ended up getting the spot. And ever since then, I was DN through junior and then senior, I was uh, DN as well, but then got moved to O line. So I did went both ways. And then from there, that's, that's history. You mentioned getting into football and kind of being a little bit of a late bloomer. And we talked, we'll talk about the growth piece of it in a second. But clearly, you weren't like a small kid. I don't know if you can tell through the Zoom screen, but like I'm five, six, 140 yeah. pounds dripping wet. No one was ever looking at me at sixth grade and being like, hey, man, you should go out for football. Like maybe carry the water boy, the towel boy, whatever. But I imagine even though you grew <laughs> later on, you were probably still a fairly big kid. Like when they got into football, like, 
you mentioned you weren't the best at first, but you had to have some natural advantages being a larger guy. Like, when did you feel like you maybe, okay, I got a knack for this once I got my feet wet? Well, well, it's funny you say that. Like, a lot of people think I've always been a big guy. Um, I actually was, re- I was really small. I wasn't, I was kind of tall, not the tallest. Um, and I think I was always underweight. I think I, I got a little chubby, maybe freshman year of high school or something like that. But then I hit my growth spurt and grew a little more. But uh, as a kid, I was kind of just average, middle of the pack. Wasn't super big. It was always a scrawny little kid. I think my middle years of high school, like junior year, I was maybe 6'3 and 170 soaking wet. I mean, I was like a skin. I was. They called me Bambi because I couldn't stand my feet because I was so scrawny and little and I couldn't uh, move well on the field. So that I just I was all over the place. So they called me Bambi. kind of made fun of me a little bit, which I, I thought was funny. It's all fun games. Um, and then I kind of just grew in from there from senior year. Still wasn't the biggest. Um, didn't have a lot of muscle. Uh, but I think going into my college career, I didn't get really recruited for size. I got recruited for potential. Um, what I could be. And thankfully I grew into myself. Um, but yeah, I, I was just, I was always a little small, skinny, scrawny kid. And I happened just to grow into my body. You mentioned a couple of position switches you had early in your football career. At what point you mentioned, Hey, you're not good enough to play tight end. Let's try out defense. At what point in the football transition did that happen for you? Are you talking about the middle of high school? When did you go from the offensive to the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, because uh, my, my dad was a tight end in college, so I wanted to be like my dad, obviously, play tight end. Um, wasn't fast, wasn't good enough for it, couldn't block, really. Um, and then junior year came is when it was, I think it was that camp of ju- going into junior football season is when I was trying for defense, uh, not uh, tight end, and then halfway through camp realized I wasn't going to make it, and so I tried out for defensive end. I think I was either second or third string behind one of my good friends, Tyler Houston. Um, and then going into a scrimmage, uh, he had got hurt and I bumped me up the first string and I had the game of my life. I had a fumble recovery, forced fumble, a sack, three tackles. for. I mean, I was having the best day of my life. And then they realized like, oh, okay, maybe he can play a little bit. Uh, even though he's a little undersized, we'll put him at weak side defensive end. So he didn't have to go against the best tackles or old linemen. And then it, it just went from there. Which is crazy because you end up playing college football. You're now an NFL draft prospect, but not a lot of guys, I imagine, go from tight end to defense to the ultimately the position. And for people out there listening, you are an offensive tackle now on the offensive side of the ball. But that late in the high school process, because, you know, recruiting, particularly for bigger schools, I mean, it starts early, right? I mean, you want to say if you're a standout and you're going to play major college football, like you probably want to have a position to start getting film in, you know, 10th, 11th grade year, but not everybody has the same path. So you're, I imagine when you go from tight end to defensive end, and then right before you transition to the offensive line part, is college football even on the radar at that point? Like it still feels like you're kind of just finding your footing as a high school football player at that point. Yeah, I, I didn't realize, really, I didn't realize I was going to go to college for football till later in my senior year. Going into junior year, no idea I would have played football. It wasn't even on my radar. I thought I was just going to have a good high school career football and then go to college as a regular student. Um, and that that was my plan all the way until uh, more schools, like D3 schools came in and talked to me, and some D2s. I was like, okay, maybe I can actually do this, uh, but why not give it a shot? Um, thank the Lord I did, because otherwise I don't know where I would be. Yeah, that's crazy. And so you make the switch, well, you said senior year from defensive end to offensive yeah. offensive tackle. 
what was the selling point on that on that whole thing? Because you go, I mean, defensive end, I mean, look, tight end, you can catch the ball, run the ball, score touchdowns, mm-hmm. whatever. Defensive end, you're still at least, you know, you can force a fumble, mm-hmm. INT, strip sack, that type of stuff. What, like, what was, how wild are you about the idea of becoming one of the unsung heroes in football as a right tackle? Or, you know, it's the famous David Cutcliffe line. These guys don't have stats. So, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's very yeah. unheralded work at times. What was that process like? Were you keen on the idea at all? Not really, but, you know, I I feel like I always grew up a team player and I always did what the coaches asked me to do and what the team needed most. So um, I, I started growing in my body a little bit. I think I weighed 220 at this point um, when they asked me to go both ways because I was still playing defense, but okay. I, just, I basically wouldn't come off the field. I just did offense and defense. Um, at first, I was a little hesitant about it because I've never done it in my life. Um, didn't like doing it. I just didn't think blocking people was fun. I'd rather go tackle someone than block someone. Um, and then you get you said the stats thing. Like, there's no stats in it. I was like, man, this can't be any fun. Um, and then went into it fall camp, started learning it a little more. Obviously, it was a little, little rusty because I've never done it before. Um, all, a good thing I had some friends on the old line and they were trying to help me along. And um, several times after workouts, I'd go out with the coach and he would help me get through uh, some of the techniques and footwork for old linemen. And then I kind of just grew into it. And then I think after maybe the first game, I realized I was like, man, this is pretty fun. I like moving people. Um, and then even if I wasn't having as much fun on the line, say we weren't doing as good on offense, I could go and play defense a uh, series later and then still enjoy the game as I as I had been for a whole year prior to that. Um, so I kind of just grew into it. And then I think going into college, I still was like, maybe, maybe I think I put more D-end highlights in my high school film than I put O-line because I was still wanting to play D-line in college if I did get that chance. But then as soon as I got to uh, – my school, it kind of went away. I was strictly aligning, so uh, that's how it went. What kind of uh, high school football program did you play for? Was it a big school? Was it a smaller school? Because, you know, fair or unfair, I would say mostly unfair, a lot of times kids don't get some attention depending mm-hmm. on the program they play at and the fit and the system and all that stuff. And, you know, I've covered a million stories regarding recruiting and the high school system they ran and things like mm-hmm. that. What was the high school like? Did you play at a big school? What was that kind of like? Yeah, I, I went to a public school uh, called Ontario Orange High School, and it's a, it's a, I, I think it's a pretty big public school for Ohio. Um, you, you obviously have the bigger private schools that have more money and whatnot, but uh, the football scene in Columbus is great for high school. Uh, Ontario Orange does a great job. Um, they get a lot of recruits. Uh, they have Zach Harrison from Ohio State, who he's in the draft too. He's from Ontario Orange. Um, he's that defensive end for Ohio State. Um, and they have they have a lot of good talent. It's just whether or not you're good enough at that point, because um, the getting found is not the issue. Uh, it's just talent at that point. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So you mentioned started hearing from some D two D three schools. Kind of, t- I'm still kind of filling in the color on the timeline a little bit. When did you first start hearing from colleges? When was the first time you figured out like, hey, this is a possibility? And what year were you? Yeah, I didn't get any junior year of high school. Didn't see any. Uh, college or anything like that and the time I started seeing or talking to schools was after my senior season um kind of later in the winter spring uh, so that's really late yeah oh yeah oh yeah um where d3 schools would come in a couple of d2s would come in no d1s I wasn't big enough or I, I don't think I was good enough um and because I know my coach wanted me to go juco but in Ohio or up north juco is not a big thing um, you hardly hear or see anyone go to a JUCO up north. Um, so that wasn't in the picture. Uh, so it's just at that point, it was, I think, more than 
I'd say half the half of D two schools were saying something that were around my area, and then almost all of D three schools in Ohio uh, were asking me to come play. But I ended up going to a D two school called Lake Erie College in Cleveland, Ohio. And so you mentioned you got recruited off potential. When you're hearing from those schools, are they recruiting you as a tweener? Or are they recruiting you as an offensive lineman? What did was the kind of the consensus plan for you position wise? Because as you mentioned earlier, you were still going both ways high school. What was the recruiting pitch for you? Like what position? Uh, more mainly the D threes where you can pick and choose whatever you want. Um, but all the D twos had me going for offensive tackle because they they saw my frame and they say we're going to build you into it you're going to be offensive player yeah sorry to say it but you're no longer defense if you come here and at that point I was okay with that you know I I enjoyed my O-line season um I I started to enjoy playing O-line more and I was like okay I guess I can see myself playing this at a college level so I'm okay with losing uh my defensive ties for the moment but yeah that makes sense and so you know, going and playing at a D2 or D3 school is if you really love football and that's something you know from day one, hey, I want to do it if, you know, whatever school, whatever team, but it is not always the most glamorous path to choose. And, you know, there's, I imagine you went to school with some guys who, you know, maybe could have tried the D3 route or something like that, mm-hmm. but said, no, I'm good. I'll just go to, I don't know, Ohio State, wherever, and become like a normal college student. Did you have to grapple with that at all, or did you know from day one, I want to play college football somewhere? Uh, I think I had to grapple with it because I had um, one of my really good friends, and I call him basically my brother, Kevin Pellington. He was our old neighbor. He went to Bowling Green, and uh, it's northeast Ohio. Um, Action. Yeah, and I remember talking to him. I was like, man, I can't wait to go to school with you, Kevin. I know it probably won't be for football. I'll become a regular student and just hang out with you and just – have that college life but then you know I started talking to my dad and my parents more and they're like listen like if you have a chance to have school paid for uh through football that's what you're gonna do and I I had to sit there and be like "Ah, I guess I gotta bite the ball on this one you know I'll I'll make some more friends you know he's not my only friend um and so I just had to sit sit down and say you know what let's just let's just do it let's just play football let's try and earn a scholarship and get school paid for through it that way and um I think I was okay with that yeah, and that's a very mature and rational mindset to have for someone at that, particularly at that age. Cause I mean, look, it's not like anyone was like holding a gun to your head and said you had to play football in college. But at the same time, if you're debating kind of what you want to do with your future and you have other options, that can't always be kind of the easiest news to hear where your parents are like, Hey, look, you know, if we'd like for you, if at all possible, if you can get mm-hmm. school paid for to play football, which is a perfectly understandable scenario. But like, it, I don't know. It seems like you just have a very mature, like level headed mindset about it. Mm-hmm. Did it take some buy-in? Where it's like, hey, if I'm going to do this, I got to go all in on it. And then just, I guess, to put that into like a real question, take me to your path to Lake Erie. How did that happen? Yeah, I think what made me go along was actually having all the different college visits. You know, going to see a campus, going to see the um, weight rooms or field and all that. And I said, I was like, man, this could be a pretty good lifestyle if I go here or do this. Because um, then I, now I realize, like, being a regular student, I don't know what I would have done with my time. It is really I, – I think it's really boring just being a student. Um, and I feel like I just would waste my time doing nothing. So I'm glad I chose the football route. Um, but Lake Erie, uh, it's kind of one of those schools I was being recruited with. It was between them, Ashland University, and uh, Walsh. 
Um, and okay. I had gone to a recruiting trip through all of them. The first two was the first one was Walsh. Went to them, and I I liked the people, but didn't really like the school. Uh, went to Ashland, which was my going to be my pick, and that's where my dad went to school and played football. So I was kind of leaning towards that, but like, you know, fall fall in the footsteps of my dad. Um, and then I got to Lake Erie, and I they just recruited the heck out of me, and I really enjoyed the coaches on my trip. I liked the people I met with when I was there. Um, and about them, they're a really small school. I think they had max a thousand people. So it was like a glorified high school is really what it was. Um, and then I just thought, I was like, okay, I'm kind of close to home. This isn't bad. I like the people I've met. Um, even though the facilities aren't the best, you know, campus may be a little small. They, they recruited me good. I, was, I thought it was the right pick and that's why I decided to go. And so that's right outside of Cleveland, correct? Yep. Painesville, so- Ohio. Not far from home at all. I mean, particularly when you talk about kind of the region and where you ended up, like it's 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 very familiar there. You spend a year there. Take me through how you ended up in Cleveland, Mississippi a year later. Yeah, so I, I got there in 2016, fall 2016. Um, got redshirted my first year. I didn't expect to play. Um, and then the following year in 2017, played every game. Uh, what kind of threw me off, first of all, of me wanting to leave was all the coaching changes. My first year there, my head, the head coach, um, Coach McNally, he got fired halfway through the season, and our OC came in as the interim head coach. Uh, finished the season. I don't think we won a game that year. Uh, I think Ooh. we did. We just Yeah, it was, it was a rough rough time at Lake Erie. Um, second year there, ended up playing. Um, and then while trying to find coaches for that season, uh, we had went through a whole process of meeting all these new coaches and obviously the school had to interview them, but they would come in, talk to all the players um, and ask, have us ask them questions and whatnot. And we gave us votes on who we thought was a good coach. And we went home for a winter break and they hired a guy that we had never met with as a team. So we were kind of up in arms about that. Um, th- then when he finally came in, he brought his staff in and we ended up really liking him. And then he actually ended up keeping one coach from our previous staff, which was the OC was the interim coach the uh, year before. Okay. And then, and then stuff started hitting the fan. He got in trouble. Uh, it was like after a spring practice, it was a Friday. Um, I guess a couple of guys went out to the bars and he was there. And he got caught making out with one of the soccer players at our school. Oh, um, okay. And he had a wife and kids. So er- everything hit the fan. We came into workouts a couple of days later and the police took him out the building. We're like, what is going on? And then obviously rumors start spreading and figured out what happened. Um, and then that coach he had that he kept on the staff from the years prior, he became the head coach again, which he, I, I didn't not like him as a coach, but he wasn't my favorite. Um, and then we, I think we won two games that year. And then going into the summer of 20, I think it was 18. Um, I got a call from my O-line coach who was at, uh, Lake Erie, who actually became a GA at Delta State, he said, hey, man, I, I know you're not happy there. Um, I, I know it's like it was like five days before camp started because I, I want you to come down here and, you know, I want you to enjoy football and not have a losing record throughout your college career. And I, I, I called my dad right up and I said, Dad, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I think we just got to take it because, you know, I'm not happy here at Lake Erie. I want to win football games. Um, and I want to enjoy my time playing, even though I, I like the people at uh, Lake Erie. I have made a lot of friends, but it just wasn't for me. And my dad said, OK, let's do it. Two days later, I'm, I'm in the 100 degree heat suffering in camp and in, Del- in uh, Delta State. 
So at that point, that's the summer of 2018. So that would be you entering your red shirt sophomore year. Yep. And yep. so that's going on in terms of being there and on campus on school. Like you're not quite to year three yet, but that's kind of going on year three, despite some of the instability with the football program. I imagine just like personally, you were probably finding some roots. And I know football is a big guider and a big part of that. You mentioned definitely not being happy with the football program and everything that had gone on with that, as you outlined, probably for good reason. When the your former coach called you D- GA at Delta State, I mean, had you ever heard of Cleveland, Mississippi? How much selling did it take to get you down there? Oh, it it didn't take much, um, which was uh, surprising. I, I remember because his name is Casey Bicknell. I think uh, he's at Arizona right now. I think he's a special teams coach. Um, I remember calling him. He said, "Hey, I'm going to put Coach Cooley on the line. He's going to talk to you, and we're, we're going to try and get you down here." I said, "Okay." I just I said, "Hey, Coach Cooley, how are you doing?" He's like. Good, son. How you? You know, carried on conversation. I just remember asking, "Hey, coach, what is there to do in Cleveland, Mississippi?" He goes, "Well, <laughs> there's a Walmart." And I was like, "Oh, okay. There's a Walmart. All right." Um, and then I just remember I I, thought I was laughing after that. Um, but it, it didn't take much. I I just knew it would be a good spot for me. If my online coach said, or my previous online coach, um, Coach Bicknell said it was a good spot for me, I trusted him, um, and I knew I could go down there and be fine. So. But when I when I first got down there, I was in shock. Not only because there's it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but that heat, oh, that heat killed me. It's really unbelievable. Like I feel like you probably heard about it. And you're like, ah, oh, this is probably not going to be that bad. And then your first June or July day in the Mississippi heat with that humidity, you're like, is this hell on earth? What in God's yeah. name, like, is this? Like, it's one of those things where you can't really like fully realize what people are talking about. Until you experience it, total random sidebar, but you mentioned Case and Bicknell. I had read something that you were interviewed in. I think you'd mentioned him earlier. Is that any relation to Jack Bicknell? Ole Miss had an offensive line coach who used to be the head coach at Texas Tech. Do you have any idea if they're related? I, I have no idea. I, I, I can I can always text him and ask, but I have no idea. He's never brought it up to me. I have no idea. Uh, could be coincidence, but I, I don't know. Okay, interesting. I just heard that name and I was like, because Jack Bignell, the one year he was at Ole Miss was awesome. He was a great dude, great interview. And I was like, damn, that the coaching circle is small. I wonder if they're related at all. But that aside, so you go down there, you get down there for that summer. You mentioned football being a pretty strong guiding force and, you know, your reason to, you spent your whole life in the Midwest and all of a sudden you're in the Mississippi Delta. That's a good D2 football program. That had to be a pretty big selling point that Delta State was a program that had a lot of success and honestly has had, you know, some professional ties as well with guys making it there. Um, but a lot of success, like, did was that a big draw for you too? Yeah, I, I remember on the call with Coach Cooley, he just, he said, this is the best conference in D2 football. Um, at that point, I had no idea what the GSC was, who was in it, or anything like that. Um, and I just took his word. And I remember one of my first days there at camp, uh, Marvin Terry, who was uh, he was another transfer that came in, a really good guy. But man, he is he a good player? And I remember first play, I think it was one on ones, went against him. He push pulled me right to the ground, and I just remember staring in the turf like, oh my gosh, these guys are so much better than what I've just been dealing with. I'm in, I'm in trouble. You know, I was like, oh, this ain't good. I better step up my game. Um, but and I just from then on, it's just I I don't like talking bad about other players and conferences like that. But it's just there's a level. There's just a big level difference from the GSC to anywhere else. Just the speed, the strength, the power, everything. No, you're exactly right. I mean, particularly at that level, it's a lot more regional recruiting and they don't, I mean, the 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 kind of moniker the South has for recruiting and speed and all that, it has that reputation for a reason you're right it's just a a hell of a lot different 
in that part of the country, particularly in the Gulf, uh, the GSC. So you get down there. I guess back up a little bit. At what point does the growth spurt hit? Because to become as productive of a D2 player and college football player in general as you did, you know, you recruited off potential. Well, like at a certain point, that frame had to fill out. Kind of take me through the growth spurt into what are you today? Are you, I'm three thirty today. Six seven three thirty. Good God, um, yeah. that's so. Yeah. What, what are you when you get to Lake Erie, and then what are you when you get to Delta State? Yeah. Like, like, how did how did that all come to be? Yeah, so Lake Erie, I came in a little sloppy because they, they told me I was playing the offensive line, so I was just trying to pack in as much weight as I can. I think I came in around two low two seventies, high two sixties, um, and I think I grew an inch. I think at this point I'm six six two seventy. Um, that following season, I, I gained a little more weight. Um, and I think going into my sophomore year there, uh, my first year playing in 2017, I think I was at 305 and I may have hit my peak in height at 67. Um, but man, it was, it was not good weight. I was holding it very bad, very chubby, big old belly. Um, just didn't really hold it well. And then I got down to Delta State, um, probably weighing 310, I think. Uh, and I didn't grow in height any, after I got to Delta State. Um, then from my sophomore, technically sophomore year at Delta State, till junior year, I think I got up to 315, 320, and then I kind of just stayed around there for the, for the remainder of my college career. The weight portion of it is always interesting to me, but first I got to ask about the height. You mentioned at some point in high school, you were what, like six, three. Um, I'm yeah. still waiting on this four inch growth spurt here at 27 years old. <laughs> what is that like where you're like, holy cow, I'm no longer six, three, I'm six, seven, because that's a massive difference. I know it only yeah. sounds like four inches, but like, there's a huge difference between like five, 10 and six, two versus like six, three and six, seven. Yeah. Like, what was that like? Was it weird just being, oh, okay, I'm really tall now? Yeah, it's. It's kind of weird because even now, for some reason, I don't feel tall when I'm around people. I don't feel like a tall person. That makes sense. Um, I just remember, yeah, <laughs> I just remember growing up having to go through a bunch of clothes, having to go through a bunch of shoes, constantly not fitting anything, my knees constantly hurting, um, and just having those growing pains and stuff like that. Um, I, I never really thought to myself, like, man, I'm, I'm really tall. Like, man, I dwarf everyone. I kind of just fit in because all my friends around me were kind of just average height. Um, but the worst part is, or I think my parents think it is the, all the eating, going through all the clothes, going through all the <laughs> shoes and stuff like that. So I know, I know they were struggling for a little bit after I was hitting that growth spurt. And the weight portion of it is fascinating too, because it's, it's how you, as you just said, maintain the weight, like how you keep it on. And I had a buddy, his name's Sean Rawlings. He played uh offensive uh, lineman at Ole Miss and he was a guy from Mississippi. Madison went to uh, MRA, so a small private school. He uh, gets a scholarship to Ole Miss. He's very much – look, at, there's so many plug-and-play places at a high school recruiting in college football now. The one that's just really not possible unless you're an absolute freak of nature is offensive line. That just doesn't really happen. They bring guys in. They need to get them a year or so in the weight program and get them ready to play – no matter what level it is, get them ready to play offensive line in college. It's just such a different deal – and I've talked to Sean about this a few times. He was supposed to come in as a developmental guy. He knew he wasn't going to play his first year. He didn't really think he was going to play his second year until Laramie Tunsil got suspended as part of an NCAA investigation. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in Bryant-Denny Stadium on a Saturday night, mm -hmm. um, play, starting on the offensive line, being like, holy cow, Like, how, how did I get here? This was not part of the plan. 
But one of the things that was interesting to me is he got to college and he thought, you know, I thought like adding weight just meant I needed to go to like Wendy's and we just scarfed down <laughs> food. But that's not really exactly how it works at all. Did you have to mm-hmm. learn the same thing? There's adding good weight and bad weight. Yeah. What was that like for you to learn? Yeah, and that's kind of what I was touching on earlier, how at Lake Erie, uh, I'm not trying to bash them as much as I have, but, you know, the weight program wasn't as where it needed to be. Yeah. Um, and that's why I said I had all that, like, sloppy weight on me. It wasn't really turning that fat into muscle. And then that that all changed when I got to Delta State. When I got there, um, one of the best strength coaches I had, Kevin Rodriguez, um, Coach K-Rod is what we called him. Man, I mean, he, he turned around real quick. You know, um, we were on a strict lifting program. He took before and after pictures of uh, of our progress and all that stuff and um, just really taught us how to maintain a good body uh, structure and what you need to do to grow muscle, how to get rid of fat, um, proper lifting techniques, because I was still kind of raw when I got to Delta State. And he, he really turned me into the person I am today. Um, I, I owe him a lot of credit because he, he showed me a lot in the weight room um, and kept me healthy throughout my whole career. And he just really gave me the body I have today. And a lot of that, what I think a lot of people don't realize is it's a constant 20, when you talk about making your body into becoming a football athlete, particularly on the offensive line, it's a 24-7 deal in terms of what you put into it and what you don't put into it. What was that learning process like of like, hey, here's what I need to eat, here's what I Mm -hmm. don't need to eat. And I imagine it takes a lot of self-discipline as well Mm -hmm. because you're not in season all the time. But, you know, if you slack off for a month or so, you can all of a sudden be like, man, I, I don't feel as great as yeah. I did a month ago or in season. What was the process like for you learning kind of, you know, how to eat and how to maintain yep. your body beyond just the weightlifting aspect of it, which yeah. kind of speaks for itself. But what was that like for you to learn? Yeah, for like, especially for like D2 schools, you don't have the resources of, of a D1. You don't have a nutritionist. Um, so you're kind of learning as you go on. You have the coaches there to help you. Um, and like I think in season you have a more little leeway because you're losing a lot of calories through practice through games, um, so you don't have to worry as much as what you put in because at that point you're just trying to get calories in to maintain your body weight, um, and that's why we had to weigh in after every practice, weigh in uh, before the next practice to make sure you gain that weight back. Um, especially in the off season is where you had to watch what you're doing because you can get real easy sitting in the calf. You have unlimited swipes. You go in, eat a bunch, go back to your dorm or go back to the house. Um, and do nothing until you have weights. And so I, I know a lot of people gain weight during that time. Uh, and it's just a, a lot of self-realization of what you need to do to be the best athlete, what you have to put in your body. You know, good thing I like chicken and rice. I could eat that every day, all day. Um, so that helps. I like I like fish. I like, I like healthy food. I like vegetables and stuff like that. So for me, it wasn't really hard. Um, don't get me wrong. I love, I love junk food. Who doesn't love junk food? I love to right. eat snacks and stuff like that. Um, but at that point, it's just, you're so committed to the games. Um, you, you're allowed cheat meals. Obviously I'm not saying you can't eat bad stuff, but at some point you have to eat more good than bad. And it really benefits you in the long run. And I learned that out, uh, throughout, as I, throughout my college career. And especially last year, living with my roommate, uh, Eric Diamond, you know, I cooked a lot made a lot of chicken, made a lot of fish. And that kind of just helped me out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The last year I covered Ole Miss full-time, they were replacing a ton on the offensive line, and they were trying to make a an older guy who had been kind of a tweener at their left tackle or right tackle, I can't remember what it was, but one of the things I realized quickly was it became a storyline about him keeping his weight during camp, and the Mississippi Heat has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Did you experience some of that as well, where it's like, hey, I'm doing everything I need to do, but if I go lose this amount in sweat after yeah. practice, it's like, wow, this is kind of nuts. Did you experience some of that at all? Yeah, no, I wasn't actually as bad as some players. I know some of my teammates, they would lose close to 10 pounds after every practice. And I, I just be like, oh, my gosh, like that's unreal. And I, I lose close to six, eight pounds. Um, a lot of it's water weight, and I drank a lot of water anyway, so it really wasn't that tough for me to keep that weight on or bring it back before next practice. Um, and then being an alignment, I like to eat, so that, that wasn't an issue for me. Uh, I know for some people it was, uh, and I know a lot of people had cramping issues. Yeah, um, we had a kid uh, named Cam. He he would cramp up so bad he would get full body cramps a lot, um, and sometimes he would be, we would be in the shower and he'd full body cramp. The trainers would have to come in and get him IBM. Um, but for me, an issue really wasn't weighing in. I've had a couple of times where I just didn't drink enough water and I was a little underweight and had to get it back before practice. But for me, it never really was an issue. So you get to Delta State in the summer of 2018. You mentioned that there was, from just a speed and competition level, there was a little bit of an eye-opening moment of like, whoa, Mm -hmm. this is a little different down here. Did you play immediately at Delta State? Was there some growing pains in the process? What was that first year like? How often did you see the field that first year? Yeah, first year I actually couldn't play because when I transferred, uh, Lakery held my release. Yeah. Yeah, see, now Portal, that that doesn't exist. It's like, sir, anybody can play. I get questions all the time. It's like, is this kid going to be eligible? I'm like, dude, every Everyone's eligible. But back then, just four years ago, that's not yeah. the case. So you actually had to sit a year. Yeah, yeah. So I had to sit. We went through a whole appeal process because I actually came to Delta State with one of my good friends, Maru Famare. Um, We both went through an appeal process. We knew it wasn't going to go through. We knew it was going to get denied, um, but we still went through with it denied. So we were 
they, everyone called me a scout team All-American that year because, you know, I was trying <laughs> to get better. I was trying to get acclimated, but I also wanted our team to win. And so I went hard during scout team against Tremont and a bunch of our guys. And um, that first year was just strictly weight room and uh, scout team. That's all it was. And so you go through that first year, and I know you know you're there for a reason, but is it hard to stay patient? Because nowadays it's almost like a non-existent thing. It's like, what do you mean you have to sit out of here as we just outlined? But like, was it hard to stay patient when you know there's no chance you're suiting up on Saturdays for really is just an arbitrary dumb rule in the system? But was that hard to stay patient throughout that year? Yeah, especially like when you you think you're going to go down there and play right away. Um, it is because then you're like, dang, especially that year. I know a lot of my friends from Lake Erie were making fun of me because that year at Dell State, I think we went two and eight or two and some, which was the same record I had when I left Lake Erie. So they're like, oh, man, you went to a school that is doing the same thing as us. And I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. You know, I couldn't contribute or help in any way and we're losing. Um, so I know I started to doubt myself a little bit. I was like, did I make the right decision? Um, I'm, I'm not out there helping my team. or I'm helping a scout team as much as I can, but that's not the same as being out there during the game. Um, so I, I did have my doubts, but it helped having uh, my previous O-line coach, Cason Bignell, helping me every day in the weight room out there, just giving me encouragement and having my friend there, Maroof, because um, me and him, were going through the same thing. Um, we just had each other's back and gave each other encouragement, knowing that next year it's it's all on us. You know, our time is here to shine. Um, and then through all the troubles we're going through, let's just show out the next year and have a good year. And you mentioned, I was going to ask that next, you had a buddy come down with you. I'm assuming he came from Lake Erie. Is that correct? A football player yep. Lake Erie came down with you. How important was that just to have someone that's going through the similar path that you had? Because, I mean, look, I mean, clearly a friendly guy. You've answered my questions 25 minutes into this yeah. thing without telling me to shut up. But, like, it's a big change, particularly at that stage of your life. I imagine it had to be a pretty big help having someone that you were familiar with to go through that with you. Yeah, it was really helpful. You know, he actually was one of the first people to call me because I think Co- Coach Bicknell called him first. Okay. And he called me. He was like, hey, Nick, let's let's go down there, man. We're both not happy. Let's go. And I said, all right, man, let's go. I mean, let's do it. Um, So having there, especially when you get to a new school, you're not saying you don't have friends, but, you know, you got to make friends. But having a friend that you've known for years at this point is a really big thing. So I hang out with him all the time. We would go out, eat dinner, make friends on the fly. Um, with people on the football team, but he was always that rock. He was always there for me. I was always there for him. If we needed encouragement, we'd go take a drive in his truck down through the Delta, see whatever we had to see, which is fields at that point, just farming. Um, but yeah, just having each other's back, going through scout team practice and all that. And I know when we first got there, I think he struggled with the heat more than I did uh, during our first camp days. And I was just trying to help him get through it. Um, but yeah, having him there was a really big thing for me staying there and making sure I made the right decision. So you're able to play the 2019 season. What was that? Did you have a good year? What was that year like for you? Yeah. Uh, I had an okay year. I don't, I don't, to me, I'm, I'm very critical on myself. So I didn't think it was a good year. Um, I was pretty sloppy in technique. I was just a big body. I was at that point I was ready to play. So I was, I was just trying to hit anything and everything in sight. Um, so it was more just a big body out there moving people than it was technique or anything. Um, I don't think I won any like conference awards or anything that year. I didn't expect to. I, I knew I didn't have a good year. Um, but other than that, I mean, I had I was just happy to play football again at that point. But you won the gig and you were out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that, that I mean, it'd be one thing if you're not like seeing the field. It's like, what have I done here? But at least you're yeah. out there. And at that point, you know, we talk about kind of how quickly things have changed for you when you look at the grand scope of things. 
you're still pretty new in terms of playing the offensive line and mm-hmm. learning the intricacies of the position. Did you ever feel like you were behind at all between guys that had been playing offensive linemen for a longer time than you? And how quickly did you feel like you made up that gap, if so? Yeah, I felt like I was I was kind of behind, you know. You can only do so much. You know, I, I tried my best on scout team trying to get refs, but, you know, sometimes you're just a, a, a dummy out there just getting hit and over and over again. Um, So for – that 2019 season, uh, I felt like I was a little behind in technique and all that. Luckily, we had some great guys on all line to help me, like Ennis Claude. He was always there for me. Um, he was a – I think every year he played, he was an all-conference guy. You know, one of my really good friends. He helped me out with technique. And then just the whole line group, we came together. Um, basically, every day after practice, we would sit back and do our own drills. Or uh, during summer workouts, we would come outside after our workouts and do other drills uh, on the turf and stuff like that. And I think I became like a quick learner, not only that, but a, a leader of the O-line. And I think I established myself as a, as a leader because not only because of the work I put in, but of what I've shown on the field. Um, and I think I, I think I caught up a decent amount. I still think I'm pretty raw in some terms of not having all those years of experience throughout playing in high school or middle school or whatnot. Um, but I, th- I think I caught up pretty quick. And so you go through that 2019 season, you're playing, you're out there, you've established yourself as a starter. I imagine you had to be pretty chomping at the bit. It was like, all right, this next year's when all this is going to come together. And then this thing called COVID-19 came mm-hmm. through and just uprooted, as we talked about right before we started recording, yep. just changed everything. What was that? That I mean, look, I, it's 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 dumb to just complain about COVID and act like we were the only people like impacted by it. But like... No. There had to be part of you that was like, come on, man, you got to be kidding me. Like this, I'm finally at this place. I'm a second year returning starter. And then all of a sudden you're going to tell me like, we might not play football. Then we're going to play this very, you know, piece together season with no people in the stands. What was going through that like for you? Because that was just a complete whirlwind for everyone. Yeah. I think in the, at the moment when it all went down, we were all gearing up for a season and just for it to get stripped away, you know, it sucked. You had work all the work that's hard with all your teammates and you went through all this grueling grind uh, to be ready for the season, just for it to get stripped away. You know, that sucks for anyone. I don't care who you are. That sucks. Um, but I think looking back at it now, is more of a blessing in disguise because it gave our team more practice, more reps to gel as a team and become better as a unit. And I think it helped me personally because it gave me more time in that fall and spring to really hone in on my craft. And I think that was one of the best springs I've ever had. Um, personally, I think I really locked down my pass pro technique. Um, I was probably better at pass pro than I was at run, uh, run pro at that point. Um, cause we also changed a little offensive schemes a little bit, but I think it helped us, um, as a team, uh, better than if we would have gone into that season without COVID. Um, and it was also gave me an extra year of eligibility, uh, Which with that COVID year. yeah, with that super senior status. And I know some people got made fun or made fun of me cause I was the oldest guy on the team. Um, uh, they always joke around like, man, you can't go out there and bully all these kids out of high school like that. And, um, but I think it was looking back at it, it was a blessing in disguise, but I know in the moment it sucked. Um, it wasn't fun because you'd spent all this time training, preparing just for nothing to happen. And that was one piece of it when I was doing kind of the research process before we started this interview, I probably should have read up on this more, but that COVID year became almost like a it was easier for major college programs like the sec because you know money's really no object and you're paying for covid testing and all this stuff where once they kind of the big 10 
for a half second decided to cancel their season, but the SEC was like, no, sorry, guys, we're going to play. You guys don't have to play, but like, what are we doing here? It's a different conversation, I imagine, at the Division II level. How mm-hmm. much was that season in doubt? What was it like navigating the logistics of a pandemic season at Delta State? Yeah, I know it was probably tough on all the coaches and trying to figure out uh, what can be done. Um, and they did their best with like COVID tests and having scheduled tests for players. And the school did a good job. If you had COVID, they had a, sp- a specified area to put all the students or players if they had COVID in uh, on-campus apartments um, uh, and have you quarantined for that time. Um, and then they did their best, obviously, with the money they have because obviously they don't have the money of the D1 programs and the resources and assets they have for all that but I think as like a program and as a school I think they did as well as anybody um trying to prevent and trying to get every all the sports back on track um especially gearing towards the end of COVID getting every team more comfortable with traveling and uh, things like that and I think I think at the end of the day they did a good job and even though I think there were talks of maybe having scrimmages with other teams during COVID um even though it's kind of felt fell through uh i think they were just always trying to make sure the athletes are first and making sure that they were happy and things like that so i think it worked out in the end yeah how many did y'all have any games can i mean Ole miss hell had a game at mm-hmm. least one texas a&m canceled how many games did y'all end up playing that year what was that year like from an actual like you know football postseason whatever standpoint like how did y'all yeah. get through it okay yeah in 2020 we actually did we didn't play any football at all 2020 was oh just no football so you were just no games yeah, so it was it was strictly practice. It was like it was like a whole season of straight spring ball is what it was. Wow. So it was just practice on practice. I think we had scheduled um a scrimmage with the I, f- I forget what team it was, but that got canceled. I think it was either because a lot of our players ended up getting COVID and couldn't participate, or it's it either vice versa. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, it was just it was just a whole year of practice. That's all it was. I say this lovingly. Love Cleveland. Portner's from there, great town. But like, yeah. did you ever get put in one of those on-campus apartments? I'd, I'd have been right. like, "What do you mean I'm quarantining?" I thought coming yep. down here was a bit of a quarantine. Now I got to sit in here by myself. Like, did like that had to be somewhat isolating, just being in yeah. Oh, yeah. COVID in the pandemic in Cleveland, Mississippi. Yeah, I actually got popped for COVID. I think a couple of days before Easter, I was about to go home see the family. Oh, um, and man. then and then they had to do a, they did a bunch of tests before everyone got home just to make sure they want to go spread it or whatnot. Um, and I, which it caught me off, uh, caught me by surprise because I, I was feeling great. Like I felt like I didn't have anything, didn't think I had it. And then they said, well, you test positive. And I was like, well, if I feel fine, can I just go home? Like I won't be here. I won't do anything. They're like, no, we got to put you in the apartments. And I was like, man, this sucks. So I obviously had to tell the family that I won't be here for Easter or whatnot. And luckily I had a roommate. Um, he, I call him Rod. Uh, he, he was up there with me. Um, it's just us two in a small little campus apartment every day. Can't do anything. They wouldn't allow you to go outside, even though we did anyways, because I cannot not get sunlight through a two week period. Um, I got to go outside and do something. Um, but every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they would bring little trays of food or little styrofoam containers from the calf, sit there, eat that, did that for two weeks, stayed inside and tried staying sane as much as possible. But it was, it was kind of rough sitting there doing nothing 24 7 for two weeks. 
yeah, I'd have been like giving me a cell number and some handcuffs. Like, what am I in prison over here? That's that's crazy. And I never thought about the fact that you guys didn't play any games that year. So you make it through that whole mess. Mm-hmm. 2021 season, thank God, I would forever think the spring and summer of 2021 was like the greatest time of my life, even though I had nothing like sports-wise going on. But like things were getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. I'm a big college baseball guy. Ole Miss, after about three weeks, started to have a normal baseball season. They yep. had fans come back in the stands. The world's coming back to normal. That had to be a pretty good time for you because you had to sit out this year after you finally getting you know feels like you're finding your footing things are coming together I imagine that 2021 year had to be a pretty good year for you just from a okay the world's getting back to normal things are finally coming together yeah it was it was a really good year um I think just being around all of your friends and teammates and being able to play again because we've been working so hard for basically two years at this point just to get the season going um felt really nice and even though it didn't end how we wanted it, it was still nice to play football again. Um, and especially at that point, you're every day, you're just like, man, I just want to play football again. And it finally came. Thank the Lord. Cause we, I think we're all getting up on each other's nerves, hitting the same person every day. It's, it sucks hitting your, the same teammate every day. You want to hit someone new. Um, and that, that finally came in. It was, it was just the biggest stress reliever, uh, or reliever and just the biggest moment of relief ever. Yeah, I mean, I mean, football is an even bigger like example of this, but I remember like going back to a restaurant for the first time. I was like, I, this yeah. is kind of weird, but God, I'm glad I'm here. Like when you finally got back to a game again, that probably had to like at least be a little eerie for the first few snaps where it's like, all right, we're yeah. back in this thing. Cause I mean, how two years is a long time to go in between games, <laughs> yeah. you know, snaps that actually count. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a little, it was a little weird, especially like I said, it's different. It's weird hitting the same teammate every day for, two years straight and then you get someone in a different uniform you're like oh shit like this is cool i like this yeah um and then they had the weird ideas of uh like those shields on your face masks and stuff like that and you know at first you're like man like maybe this guy's gonna spit on me i'm gonna get something or something like that but (laughs) it kind of went all out the window the first snap and you forget about everything Um, yeah it was all good at that point so, and then again, like kind of one of the similar themes with your path and your career is like, it feels like a long time, but then at the same time, it's like actually a lot of change has felt pretty quickly. That had to be a year, you know, your 2022 season was your COVID super season. And I remember Portner first mentioned something about you. I want to say pretty early on during the 2022 season, he's like, Hey, Delta State's got this guy that they think, you know, a lot of people think have a chance to play professional football you're not that far removed from being at Lake Erie as a very raw, you know, true yeah. freshman. That's like, what exactly is my path here? What am I doing? Yeah. What At what point through that year, that had to be, I'm guessing here, but that had to be at, at least part of the start of you realizing, hey, maybe I can do this beyond college. Mm-hmm. When did you start understanding that, like, hey, maybe there is a future beyond college football? Yeah, I it's crazy. Like I know a lot of people always would always, I know like after games, fans in the stadium would say, oh, I'll see you on Sunday. You know, I'd be like, oh, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just being critical of myself. I didn't think I was good enough until I, I even though I still have my doubts um, really until last season uh, after a couple of games, because I know all my teammates are like, man, you, you really got a shot. Like coaches, fans, all that. Um, and I, I was trying to stay home. I'm like, ah, man, I appreciate you, but you never know. It's, it's hard being a, a guy at that level from this small of a school and stuff like that. But, you know, getting closer to everything, um, get, like after having a pro day or before that, uh, having scouts come in and see you uh, before, like during game weeks or after games and being in the field house and talking to you. And, you know, I sat down, I was like, 
I remember I called my dad. I was like, Dad, maybe we have a shot here. Like, you know, uh, scouts are coming in to see me, even though that means nothing. They could just be just trying to see who you are as a person and whatnot. You know, it's still a cool experience. And I just thought maybe in the back of my mind, you know, Nick, if, if you have a really good season this year, you know, this this could be a shot. And luckily I had a good year last year. And uh, I, I saw, saw those opportunities arise and oh, now we're here. So. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to get at, right? It's one thing for fans to say it, but was there a specific moment for you where someone, whether it was a scout or someone mm-hmm. with like that actually, you know, knows football and carries some weight, it was like, hey, you got a shot here. Like, did, did that happen or did it just kind of happen gradually? Uh, it, it was a little bit of both, a little bit of gradual, because like you have one scout come in, you're like, okay, like that's really cool. A scout came to see me, you know, maybe it was because then you always think, oh, they came to see someone else, you know, they just talked to me because they saw me. You know, maybe I give this guy a chat. He's kind of big. And then another one came in. I was like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe they're here for um, uh, whoever it was. And and then more started to come in. I was like, okay, I guess I guess maybe uh, my talents have shown enough to where I have earned this uh, um, these things that happened for me. And, and I think it was kind of like gradual. And then as more people started to come in, I kind of just thought to myself, okay, Nick, put everything into this because maybe this is your this is your shot. So let's take it. And it's, you know, I know you mentioned a couple of times you're very critical of yourself and you're very hard on yourself, which is natural of any athlete who's going to be very good at what they do at a certain point. But I imagine to that point, just generally speaking, there wasn't a ton of pressure for you where it's like, I'm this guy who's a late bloomer to football. I went from one D2 school to another. I'm playing well. Things are going okay, but this is just kind of fun. I'm enjoying the ride. Did you have to balance? throughout that last year when it seemed like professional football maybe could be a possibility like balancing like real world expectations to this could be my occupation did that phase you at all how did you kind of block that out or just grapple with uh, it? I, I i don't think it phased me a lot because we were so focused on winning a conference championship which would be my first ever uh like basically winning season with something to prove um and i was i was just really focused on the team at that point I think later, maybe towards the end, where we got into the playoffs, like, man, now we're on a bigger stage. I really have to produce. I really have to do something. Um, But I don't think at any point was I worried of having a bad game and be like, oh, man, the scouts saw that. I'm I'm off their board. Uh, You know, I I think at at most of the time during the season, I was just focused on what I can do for the team and how we can win, uh, what I need to do to win and stuff like that. I don't think it ever crossed my mind. Like, man, I get this game right here. I got to have a really good game because I know so-and-so is here or – uh, this person could be in the stands and I got to do it for them. It's always, always about uh, the team and us winning. So that stuff really never crossed my mind. Being your own biggest credit, this might be a hard question to answer, but did you have a moment where you're like, all right, I'm really good at this. Like that, like I, I've got this, I know I'm working on stuff every day, but like, I'm pretty good at this thing. Do you remember that happening at all? Uh, not really. I know certain times during certain games where I, I would always, hype the person up I was playing against like in, internally yeah. I'd be like man this guy's really good like I got to be on my A game that way I wouldn't get complacent in what I do um so then I'd show up and get my ass whooped or something like that yeah uh, so so I always made sure like I, I before every game I was kind of scared I was like man this guy's really gonna expose me today and I just remember certain certain times during games um when I really hyped an opponent up and I knew I was dominating him I'd be like all right Nick you're doing pretty good let's just continue um but it, I don't think ever before a game, I was like, man, I'm the man. Like, I got this. It was more of moments in the games that would happen, but never before. 
And so you mentioned that piece of it and kind of hyping yourself up to go against your opponent. One of my favorite things about talking to, whether it's offensive or defensive linemen, that is the base level of football. That is hand-to-hand combat in the trenches. I love the trash talk that comes with it. I love talking to guys who have actually played at that level. Um, Nick Broker was a guy we did a podcast with last year. He's got an NFL future, was uh, played at Ole Miss. And he was just like, he's a pretty humble guy himself, but he's like, it's kind of a badass feeling when you know you're dominating the guy on the other side. Oh, yeah. It's going to be in for a long 40, you know, 40 minutes or 60 minutes on a Saturday. Like, have you enjoyed that piece of it as you've gotten better? Clearly, you were a standout at that level. Like, is it kind of nice going into a game? You get a few snaps in and you're like, this guy across from me is in for a long <laughs> Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And that's where like the kind of love for being an old lineman came from. Um, just not putting your yeah. will on someone and they can't do anything about it. You move them five yards down the field and you can slowly throughout a game see their confidence just completely drop. They don't want to play anymore. They're just out there because they have to be. Um, those are some <laughs> of the, those are some of the best feelings ever. Like it's funny, like they don't say it, but you can clearly see it. In you, it's all a sensory people. thing. You can oh, yeah. see not, nothing really has to be said, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, exactly. Yeah. And I, I wasn't really a big trash talker unless they're talking a lot of trash. That's I what I was going to ask you next. You yeah. didn't lay it down a trash talk. You were more of a silence. Not, not much. I, every now and then I would chirp um, to the point where my teammates would be like, all right, come on, like, let's just keep going. But I was I really wasn't a big trash talker. I had my moments. Um, but it, I always liked when they're talking all the trash early on. And then as the game goes on, they're completely silent. And then I'll say something. Then I'm like, hey, man, like, where'd you go? Like, I know I'm beating you so bad, but where's the trash talking go? Um, but, yeah, I just – I thought those moments are funny because – especially when someone talks almost the whole first half and then you start whooping them for the whole game and then they just go quiet and it's like, oh, come on, man. That's the ultimate win. You probably know you got him. This is more of like just a football, like nerd out question. But a guy, I heard a story a long time ago. There was a guy who played football for Ole Miss way, way back when I was a kid. And he played offensive line at Ole Miss. And he wasn't a big trash talker himself. But a guy on the other side of the line, and if I were trying to remember the positions, I'd screw it up. But point being, this guy is playing against Glenn Dorsey at LSU. And somebody from the other side of the line yells something first snap to, like, piss the guy off. And he's sitting yeah. there, well, he's not the one that's having to block this dude for the next, you know, 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, this guy's an All-American, going to be a top-five draft pick. Did you play with some other trash talkers on the offensive line? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had a bunch. I know – uh, Keyshawn Jennings, he's one of my really good friends. He talked a lot. Um, Jason Judge, uh, you know, when I was playing with Ennis Claude, he we called him Bob. That was his nickname. He talked a lot, and it's just funny when you when you hear other guys doing it, and you know they're kicking the other guys' butt, and they're talking their talk. Uh, I think it's really fun to enjoy. And then sometimes, you know, um, if it's not going our way, and they're kind of getting aggressive, you kind of how to hold them back a little bit, and they're they're asking you just to let them go and let them do their thing, but. I think it's always fun when you when you see your teammates talking the talk and talking smack and they're backing it up, um, and you see them succeed and it's, that's just a good feeling for me because then I'm like, oh man, I don't have to trash talk because my teammates are doing it for me and we're whooping their butt. Um, but yeah, I had a, I had a bunch, especially on the defensive side. I know the defense is notorious for <laughs> their talking. They they would go crazy. It was fun watching them trash talk and play. I asked you a little bit earlier about just when the professional idea came in the picture. You mentioned being kind of hyper-focused on the season, which is just natural, right? I mean, you kind of be a bad teammate if you said anything otherwise. Like, yeah, I'm out of here, but I I was focused on that two years before. But, like, 
at a certain point when that becomes more real at the end of your college career in 2022, it was probably unlike any off season you'd ever experienced because in the past, mm-hmm. it's just like, all right, we'll have some time off and then we'll get focused for next year. And we'll try to, you know, be better as a team or whatever. But for you, after this last off season, I had to, I had to imagine that became pretty different. Like it almost became business mode pretty quickly. <clears throat> What was that transition like from your last season of college football to everything you've been to up until now of us sitting here where it's just like, all right, we now have to transition our focus to how do we do this at the next level? What was that like for you? What was the learning process like? Yeah, I think it was a big learning curve because at first after the season was over, at that point, I wasn't with Michael and I was kind of just on my own. Um, Thankfully, I got put on Michael pretty early on. Um, But up until that point, I kind of was just reminiscing on my college career, hanging out with my friends, finishing school. Um, and then as soon as uh, school finished, it was kind of just how do I expose myself to more scouts? And that's where Michael came in and helped me tremendously. And that's when I became part of his team. And we went to the College Gridiron Showcase in Texas. And basically, as soon as that point happened, after that ended, um, it was just it was straight grind mode. Um, you have to prepare for your pro day. And I, I know it's a lot to take in at once. You're like, man, I'm really doing this. I'm really preparing myself for this next level. And you really got to put it all in. Um, otherwise, you're not going to succeed. And so it was kind of just every day working, getting money for uh, your training and then go train every day, uh, basically of the week until your pro day. And so it it was just maybe a two week period, grace period before everything became business. And it was just boom, one thing after another, you know, the college showcase pro day. And then now, um, but I I think it, it helps having Michael. Michael's a bomb. I can't, I always tell him like, thank you so much because he's done so much for me, but he, he helped me a lot with this process. I was going to ask you that next. How'd you meet Michael the first time you met him? Were you like, what do you mean an agent's interested in me? What was that process? Yeah. Like, how did you meet him and become affiliated with Delta Sports Group? Yeah. Uh, what really happened that one of my coaches put me or gave the number to another scout. Um, I think he was based in uh, Minnesota. Um, and he was the first scout that had contacted me like, oh, this is like cool. I know a scout contacted me to represent me and stuff like that. And then one of my good friends, Donnie, who played receiver at Delta State, he was talking to Michael, um, and then he was like, hey, I, Michael knows about you. you now I'm going to give him your number, and he's going to talk to you. And then from that point on, it's just one thing. I just I knew that first call I had with Michael, it was just we connected on a personal level. Um, and not to bash the other guy, because uh, thank you for trying to get me on your team and represent me, but um, it was kind of more of a business kind of thing, whereas Michael truly cared about me. He wanted me to succeed. He wanted the best of me. And I knew after we had that first phone call, I was like, oh, I know he's the guy. Um, and then from there, uh, it was just more over the phone. I didn't meet him in person until we got to Texas for the College Gridiron Showcase. Um, and then from there, that's when I officially became part of the Delta Sports Group. Um, and then ever since then, it's been awesome. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. So you actually went out to dinner with my fiance. I don't know if you knew that. It was you, Michael. and Mary. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're engaged. I've. 100% outkick my coverage. But the thing that stood out, you hadn't met Michael in person until y'all flew out to Dallas. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. It's just all nuts. over the phone. Yeah. So I, I didn't know that piece of it. I guess I don't ask good enough questions as a friend, but that that's <laughs> incredible. That's I didn't yeah. know y'all had never met in person before. Maybe he told me that and it went through one year out the other. If he's listening to this uh-huh. podcast, he's probably just going to roll his eyes. But that's <laughs> – that's unbelievable. But what, in all seriousness, I've, I've loved to joke with the guy, but I'm very, very proud of him and everything he's accomplished so far. And um, I think he can relate to people in a way 
that it's like, hey, I'm going to give you my full attention. Mm -hmm. Like you're not just a number or a check on the box or another revenue stream or something like that. You know, he's from Cleveland, Mississippi. I imagine that had to be a big selling point to you. Just from that standpoint, you mentioned one of the first phone call. Like I knew this was the guy. What made you think Mm -hmm. that? Uh, Like you said, like from Cleveland, he knew our uh, athletic uh, coach Kennison. Um, and he, I know they had talked about me and he asked coach Kennison, like, who are, who are some guys I should look out for? And you no, know, thankfully coach Kennison likes me. Um, and he, he said, you know, look out for this guy and just how personable Michael is. Um, it's it just, it's not so much business as it is. Like, I want you to succeed. You know, I'm here for you. I want the best for you. And in, in return, if it helps me, that's good. But really I'm here for you and I'm going to give you everything I got as long as you give me everything you got. Um, and, and then I think that's just where it started. I remember I called my dad. I was like, hey, dad, like, I know I have this other guy um, that wants to be my agent. But, man, this this guy re- has me sold already, dad. And I just remember telling him how much I liked Michael, how much he could relate to me, um, and, and just things like that. And uh, I think that really led me to choosing Michael to be my agent. And not only that, just like a friend who's helping me out throughout this whole process. You know, he's been basically a mentor. And I know he said it, too that he's basically, this is a growing, uh, a learning curve for him too. Like I'm his first uh, person that is going through the draft. I know he has Orlando, but they're already established in the league. Um, So it's a learning curve for him. We're learning together and we're getting through this together. So it's kind of like a bonding experience too, where we're both going through something for the first time um, and we have each other's backs and it's, it's just been great. And that really is, is, it's not even just a selling point. I mean, he follows through with it too. It's like, I'm going to devote a ton of attention to make sure this guy has the best opportunities possible for himself. And I'm also going to get to know these people. But also at the same time, how cool of a flex was it where it was like, hey, my representation just signed the largest uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> starting oh, bonus. Me, I've been bragging about history. that to everyone. Everyone <laughs> that asked, like, you got the age? I was like, yes, I do. This is the man right here. And I Hell yeah. Up Orlando, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I, I love bragging about that. So you go out to Dallas for that showcase, and I know that was a pretty big moment for you. You guys go out to dinner, as I just uh, as I just mentioned earlier. But that's an example of him kind of helping you get. I mean, look at through your accomplishments as well, but it's like, hey, I'm yeah. getting some exposure. Like I have a guy that's working in my best interest. What was being out there in Dallas like? I, you don't seem like a guy who gets super nervous, but that's a very big like professional audition for you. What yeah. was that like being out there on that stage? Did you get nervous at all? What was that day like? Yeah, I, like I think. More nerve. I don't really show that I'm nervous. It's more internal, and like I internalize it. Like, all right, man. Like, this is the big deal. Like, you got to perform here. Um, I think going in because at first it was a small school showcase, and then they pick. I think eight. I think it was eight people when I was there to move up to the the big college showcase where all the D1 guys are at. Um, so it, you kind of had a little pressure to perform well, make sure that you're one of those guys that get got selected. And I just remember when I was in there, and I had my doubts. Um, like after the two days we had practice, I was like, oh man, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would get selected. I don't know if I'm doing as good as I thought it was. And thankfully I got selected and I had Michael there to reassure me like, Hey man, like you're doing a really good job. Um, and just giving me that confidence to know that I, I deserved, I've earned my right to be there. Um, and just to continue to grind and make sure I'm doing the best I can to get my name out there and show that I deserve to play at the, the highest level. And I imagine to some degree, this has to be a whirlwind for you, right? You leave college, mm-hmm. you mentioned like, I, I kind of knew this professional thing was a possibility. Now I have an agent, I'm at these showcases. You went to a pro day in Jackson at JSU, is yeah. that correct? Mm-hmm. That was a big moment for you as well. What, 
What is that like? Because like all the scouts and stuff, they call it the underwear Olympics. But like, it's crazy. <laughs> you guys go and play games for all these years on Saturdays. And then it feels like the most judgmental pieces of your yeah. career between college and pro days. You don't have pads on. You're running these drills that, yes, are important. But it's like, this is not exactly like picking up a blitz package. This is different. Yeah. Like, what what is that like for you? And like, how do you, as a competitor, how do you like shift the focus of like, Hey, what do I need to accomplish today? Cause it's different than just meeting an assignment. Yeah. It, it's like the whole pro day in general is just very nerve wracking because, you know, at, at any point, anyone in every team is judging you. So you have to be at your best and it sucks when you hit a number in training, but you don't hit it at the pro day. So you think you're underperforming you're like, man, I wish I did this. And that, and I had those same things where I wish I did certain drills better. I wish I had better times and stuff like that. Um, and that kind of puts you down. He's like, man, I did all this training just to do what I did. And I feel like I underperformed and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot of stress. It really is. Um, but just how you manage it is, uh, how, how you get out and be better from it. Like learn from what you did. Obviously you only have one pro day. Um, and the best thing you can do is go out of it saying, you know, I gave it my all. And if some, if say, if my all is not the best, I, I know I did my best at what I did. Um, and if it doesn't work out, then that's fine. Cause I know at the end of the day, I can't look back and say, man, I wish I did this cause I gave it my all. Um, but in terms of trying to get focused for a pro day, I don't think it's all that hard. Um, just because it's the next step into where you want to be. And if you really want it, you're going to put everything into that, um, and really focus in on what you need to do. And so I, I think the focus aspect isn't as hard, even though it's not a game, you don't have pads on or anything. Um, I don't think it's that hard to focus for it. It's just out going out there and performing like you want to is a whole different ballpark. You mentioned we talked about a lot about like, hey, how real is this pro chance? And then it, as you continue to go on, obviously it continues to become more and more real. The NFL, as I mentioned at the top of this interview, is just like, hey, half the league's undrafted. Like you don't really mm-hmm. have to take the traditional path with, you know, dapping up the commissioner in a suit on Thursday <laughs> night of the draft. Like, did you, have you drawn any inspiration from other stories of guys making it in the league? How familiar familiar were you with the idea that, hey, this can't happen? Like, what has that mm-hmm. been like learning more about? Like, hey, there's actually a lot of paths to having jobs on Sundays. Yeah, like I'm 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 pretty realistic of myself and I understand where my my situation is. I never really went into it expecting to be a high round draft pick or a draft pick in general. I understand if I am a free agent, that's fine. Because um, at the end of the day, you're you're going to get a chance. Um, and what you do with that chance is how you determine your career. Um, at some point, if you get if you make it to a camp, you know you earned it. Everyone there has earned it. It's just from then on, you have to work as hard as you can to maintain that spot. Um, and just like you said, how half the leagues is came up undrafted, um, and that that's a lot of inspiration because just because if even if you don't get drafted, that doesn't mean your NFL hopes are over. Um, you still have a, another pathway to make it. Um, and so I, I'm not too concerned about it or worried about my path. I'm just excited to be experiencing all this. Yeah, that's what I was going to get at next as we kind of wrap up here is like, I know you're hyper focused on the present, right? I mean, my God, mm-hmm. the pre draft process doesn't really exactly uh, lend itself to just reflecting on how far you've come. But you have to, do you draw any sort of comfort of just like, look, I'm hyper focused on what I'm trying to do every day. But at the same time, this is already a crazy story. I'm this mm-hmm. kid from Ohio that was a late bloomer and now I have a chance to do that. Does that any, like, does that, I, mean, I don't know if you have doubts or whatever the case may be. Do you kind of draw comfort in the fact that it's like, 
hey, like this wasn't really supposed to happen this way. I've heard <laughs> yeah. where I've been. Like I'm just enjoying the ride as it goes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's that. That was me. And my dad talk all the time, and it's just like saying, even though I obviously don't want this to happen, saying nothing works out. At yeah. least you can say you did all this. Like you, you were here. You did this, and that that's in itself is crazy because. Going back in high school, I never in a million years would have thought I would have been in this exact spot. I just I thought I was going to be a regular college student, doing my own thing, going about life. But you know, it's it's a, it's pretty comforting knowing that I've come I've come this far um, with all the people surrounding me helping me to this point. Um, and that that in itself is really uh, awesome for me. What's it What's it like for you as a guy who could potentially be a later round draft pick, or if not, you go the undrafted free agent route and get in a camp? Like you're definitely not a guy. I mean, clearly, I've read enough about you where it's like you're definitely not a guy where it's like, okay, can he even get into an NFL camp type mm-hmm. of thing? You're kind of on that fringe of like, you know, maybe get drafted late round if it works out. If not, I'll get into a camp and have a very good shot of making a roster. How do you reconcile that with yourself? Like, do you're like, man, I'd love to get drafted, or I just want to find the best situation. Like for a guy that's like not going to sit there on Thursday night and be like, I'm going to be here in the first 10 picks. Yeah. What is the draft process like for you? How do you kind of view that as it comes up here this week? Yeah. Uh, I look at it as like, say if I do get that chance of do getting dra- of getting drafted, it's just that team that's willing to take a chance on me. Cause at the end of the day, they are taking a chance on me. I'm a smaller school guy. I have, technically I haven't got against the competition. Some other big schools, um, those guys have. Um, and at that point, it's just at any point, it's just any team that picks me up, whether it's free agent or it's draft, is going to get the best out of me. Um, and obviously that's what they want for all their players. But it's just uh, – it's a cool feeling knowing that you have an opportunity either way. Um, and I, I know Michael says it a lot that no matter what, you will get your shot. It's just what you do with that shot is going to determine how everything goes. Um, so I'm not, I'm not too captivated in whether or not I get drafted or a free agent because I know at any point, as long as I get my shot and I give it all my uh, – all my effort and time and energy and everything, I'll be okay. You mentioned the COVID year, having the super senior aspect. Everyone loves to make fun of Stetson Bennett for being 25 mm-hmm. years old and Hinden Hooker as well. But it's an interesting time in college football, and it's kind of the last year as we're now three years out of this pandemic where, like, you're not going to see any more, like, 24 or 25-year-old super seniors mm-hmm. in college football. But for you as a late bloomer, I imagine that had to be a little bit of a blessing, whereas you're mm-hmm. kind of late – to playing football, learning the intricacies of your position, you changed a lot. I imagine in some ways that had to be a bit of a blessing in disguise to just allow you more time. And just surely from a life aspect, I mean, look, I've, I went through this as well, whereas like at 22, yeah. 23, you think you're an adult, but you're not really yet. But at 24, yeah. 25, your mindset is so totally different than it was even at 22, 23. Do you think that's helped you some, being an older guy that had a little more time Granted, global pandemic, not sure the way yeah. you follow it up to create that time. Do you think that's worked to your advantage? Yeah, I think so. I think it allowed me to realize or sit back and look at myself and realize what benefits me, you know, in my own playing style. Um, and I think it benefited me a lot. I went from more of an aggressive guy uh, to be more, my coach would call it, controlled aggression and realizing uh, what I got to do each and every play to get the job done. Um, just realizing what I am as a football player, what I have in front of me, um, and it also allowed me to grow mentally uh, on, like, the IQ side of football. It gave me a lot of time to spend time just staring at film and learning the game of football. Um, and it helped me just mentally overall overcoming obstacles. You know, when I first transferred, that was an obstacle. COVID not being able to play, that's an obstacle. And just giving me time to learn more about myself um, what and what I'm capable of. And it just – I know in the end it was a blessing in disguise. It allowed me to hone in on my craft, allowed me to be – become better friends with all my teammates and become a better team in general. 
Um, I think I think it really was a just a blessing in disguise for not only me but our whole team. Have you enjoyed football becoming your job? Like we talked about oh, yeah. the pressure balancing that. Like if you again, there's a ton of pressure that comes with this process. But have you enjoyed the fact that like, hey, my job is to be the best football player I can be yeah. to try to earn a contract to make a living? Has that been fun for you? Oh yeah, it, it's just like even being able to brag like you're that one percent of one percent that gets to play football and make money for a living. How many people get to say that ever? And that, that's just an awesome feeling to know that that is a possibility and knowing that you can make money playing the sport you love, um, especially at the position I am. It's just, it's just a blessing. Like I, I couldn't ask for a better opportunity to do something I love and potentially make money uh, for a living. Have you thought about the first time that whether it's a draft pick or undrafted free agent, wherever the path may choose you when you get into a camp and you put on a helmet and you have a contract, like have you thought about what that moment might be like where it's like, holy cow, like I'm actually doing this for a living. I have no idea how long it's going to last. I don't know where this goes. Mm -hmm. That's kind of your whole MO and your whole story. But have you thought about the fact that the first time when you put it on in like a professional camp, like what that might be like? Yeah, I've thought about it and just like thinking about what it's going to feel like. But I know no matter what I think and what I feel like it's going to be like, I know it's going to be unmatched to when it actually happens. Um, and I know that's going to be just like the most surreal feeling, no matter how long it lasts or whenever it would end or how long this goes for. I know that's just going to be the best feeling in the world. Be like, hey, I made it this far. Look where I'm at. Nah, I'm getting paid to play football, baby. Like, I know, I know this is going to be like one surreal moment for me. And I know just thinking about it is one thing, but actually having it happen is a different. Now that we got past all the uh, questions, before I let you get out of here, we're going to get to the real serious stuff. Biggest benefit of being 6'7"? Biggest benefit. Can you dunk? Uh, Have you tried? Yeah, I, I can dunk. Not as easy as I used to be. Um, it's They're more really sketchy rim grazers. Uh, it doesn't help being this heavy, but I can dunk. Uh, I would probably say um, – man, that's a good question. I don't, I, surprisingly, I don't get asked this a lot. Uh you probably don't talk to many five six podcasters. This is more <laughs> just for my own personal enjoyment. I would just say the casual of just being able to reach things when other people can't say say something, want something. I just pick it up and hold it over my head. They can't get it. You know, I toy with people kind of like that. On a halfway serious note, I did write down three rapid fire questions. Where do you think the biggest as a football player? Where do you think you've grown the most? What have you improved on the most? Is there any specific aspect that jumps out? Yeah, probably my mental side or just football IQ in general. Like where going into each and every game, uh, really analyzing the opponent in front of me, realizing what their tendencies are, what's going to work against them. Um, I know if someone likes to bull rush, uh, what I can do to mitigate that, where if they lean too much with their hands and they extend with their hands, if I chop them down, they're going to fall to the ground because they're off balance and they're putting all their weight and uh, strength behind their arms. And if you knock them down, they're going to go down. And just realizing if you going to each and every game prepared, how much better you can be. Whereas if you just practice and you don't watch any film, how average you will be at the game. Um, and just mentally, just knowing the game of football has really benefited me a lot. I told you these were, these were going to vary in seriousness, but the next one I had written down was how big a BS is it when you have a, like a, like a side judge or a line judge that is not calling the guy going a half second off sides where it's like, you got to be kidding me here. How uh, does that happen? It, it happens a lot more of, different penalties like hands to the face yeah um, and doing different things like that 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 takes me off the most is when they're getting beat and then the only way they can beat you is that they put a hand to your face and it lifts you all up like that um and things like that that takes me especially when the ref is right there staring at it <laughs> and i'm like come on man he's done this three plays in a row can you please watch it 
And then, okay, I'll watch it next series. You go out there, same thing happens, nothing ever happens. Um, and I, I've had a couple of times where they're clearly off sides and they don't call anything. And it, at that point, it just I stop talking to the refs because I know nothing's going to happen. Nothing good's going to come from it at that point. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah, yeah. If I keep running my mouth. I'm actually going to get 15 yeah, and, yeah. backwards yeah, for getting the time, screwed they, over. Yeah, most of the time they tell you like, hey, if you keep on talking, I'm going to throw a flag. And I'm like, come on, man. I'm not the one in the, in the uh the wrong here. Look at my guy over here doing all these uh penalties and stuff, but nothing ever happens. So I just keep quiet and move on. Last last thing, I promise. A lot of offensive linemen I've met through the years lobby for the scoring a touchdown tackle eligible. Did you ever have that in your career? Do you have a touchdown? Did they let you spike the football after someone scored? What's your greatest claim to fame to a touchdown celebration? No, my one I never had a touchdown. I uh, wish I did. I, you know, I, Lake Erie actually had a package. It was called Seventy One Melsop, uh, where oh, I love that. Fake, yeah, fake a screen one way and then throw back to me where I had lead blockers and trying to go out. We ran it once in practice. Didn't score. I was close, but um, the best celebration I had was with my uh, QB Patrick Shegog, who's still at Delta State. After every touchdown he scored, go over to him and raise him up over overhead and. Uh, that that's kind of just like the touchdown celebration I did every game with him. He is Nick Melsop, Delta Sports Group athlete. I can't wait to see where your journey goes from here, man. It was a ton of fun learning more about your story. I kept you longer than I probably should have, but I really appreciate your time, my man. I'll be rooting for you. Best of luck in the pre-draft process. And, hey, when you make a roster, we'll do this again. Yes, sir. Awesome. Thank you again so much. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Really appreciate Nick's time. I think he has a cool story. NFL is one of those crazy leagues where, you know, half the league's undrafted. You have late-round guys make rosters and have lasting careers all the time. And I'm always curious about, you know, those people's paths to doing so, how it happens, and uh, kind of the off-the-beaten-path that you don't necessarily see on Thursday night of every NFL draft. So hopefully Nick is the uh, next story or next example of that, but a really good dude, and I appreciate him coming on and talking more about it. We'll be back a little more later in the week. Thanks for listening to this show as always, and you'll have a great uh, middle part of your week.